Chapter 16 of Favorite Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Nolan Fount. Favorite Fairy Tales The History of Ali Kogia a merchant of Baghdad. In the reign of Caliph Horunal Rashid, there lived at Baghdad a merchant named Ali Kodja, who was neither of the richest nor yet of the lowest order. He dwelt in his paternal house without either wife or children. He lived contented with what his business produced, and was as free in his actions as in his will. During this period, he had for three successive nights a dream in which an old man appeared to him with a venerable aspect but a severe countenance, who reprimanded him for not having yet performed a pilgrimage to Mecca. This dream troubled Ali Kodja very much. As a good Muslim, he was aware of the necessity for this pilgrimage, but as he was encumbered with a house and furniture and a shop, he always considered these as excuses, and he endeavored to make up for the neglect by charitable deeds. But since he had these dreams, his conscience disturbed him, and he was so fearful of some misfortune that he resolved no longer to defer this act of duty. To enable himself to perform this in the following year, Ali Kodja began to sell his furniture. He then disposed of his shop, together with the greatest part of the merchandise, reserving only such as might be saleable at Mecca, and he found a tenant for his house. Having thus arranged everything, he was ready to set out at the time that the caravan for Mecca was to take its departure. The only thing which remained to be done was to find some secure place in which he could leave the sum of a thousand pieces of gold, which remained over and above the money he had set apart for his pilgrimage. Ali Kogia chose a jar of a proper size and put the thousand pieces of gold into it, and then filled it up with olives. After having closed the jar tightly, he took it to a merchant who was his friend. Brother, he said to him, you are not unacquainted with my intention of setting out on a pilgrimage to Mecca, with the caravan which goes in a few days. I beg the favor of you to take charge of this jar of olives till my return. The merchant instantly replied, Here, this is the key of my warehouse. Take the jar there yourself and place it where you think fit. I promise you that you shall find it in the same place when you come for it again. The day for departure arriving, Ali Kogia joined the caravan with a camel laden with the merchandise he had made choice of, which also served him as a sort of saddle to ride on, and he arrived in perfect safety at Mecca. He, together with the other pilgrims, visited the temple, that edifice so celebrated and so frequented every year by all the Muslim nation, who repair thither from all parts of the globe to observe the religious ceremonies which are required of them. When he had acquitted himself of the duties of his pilgrimage, he exposed the merchandise he had bought with him for sale. 
When he had acquitted himself of the duties of his pilgrimage, he exposed the merchandise which he had brought with him for sale. Two merchants who were passing that way and saw the goods of Ali Kodja found them so beautiful that they stopped to look at them, although they did not want to purchase them. When they had satisfied their curiosity, one said to the other as he was walking away, If this merchant knew the profit he could make of his goods at Cario, he would take them there in preference to selling them here, where they are not of so much value. This speech did not escape Ali Kodja, and as he had often heard of the beauties of Egypt, he instantly resolved to travel to that country. Having therefore packed up his bales, he joined the caravan that was going to Cario. When he arrived, he found it so much to his advantage that in a few days he had disposed of all his merchandise with much greater profit than he could possibly have expected. He then purchased other goods intending to go to Damascus, and while he was waiting for the convenience of a caravan, which was to go in six weeks, he had not only visited everything that was worthy of his curiosity in Cairo, but also went to view the pyramids, extended his journey to some distance up the Nile, and inspected the most celebrated cities that are situated on its banks. As the caravan was passing through Jerusalem, Ali Kodja took the opportunity to visit the temple, which was considered by all Muslims as the most sacred after that of Mecca, and from which the place itself had obtained the title of the Holy City. Ali Kodja found the city of Damascus so delicious a spot from the abundance of its streams, its meadows, and enchanting gardens that everything he had read of its delights in different accounts of the place appeared to be far below the truth, and he was tempted to prolong his stay. As, however, he did not forget that he had to return to Baghdad, he at length took his departure and went to Aleppo where he also passed some time, and from thence, after having crossed the Euphrates, he took the road to Mosul, intending to shorten his journey by going down the Tigris. But when Ali Kodja had reached Mosul, the Persian merchants with whom he had traveled from Aleppo, and had formed an intimacy, gained so great an ascendancy over his mind by their obliging manners and agreeable conversation, that they had no difficulty in persuading him to accompany them to Shiraz, from whence it would be easy for him to return to Baghdad, and with considerable profit. They took him through the cities of Sotiana, Rekom, Keshan, Ispahan, and then to Shiraz, where he was induced to go with them to India, and then return again to Shiraz. In this way, reckoning also the time, Ali Kodja resided in each city, and was now nearly seven years since he had quitted Baghdad, and he determined to return. Till this period the friend whom he had entrusted the jar of olives before he left the city had never thought more of him or his jar. At the very time that Ali Kodja was on his return with a caravan from Shiraz, one evening, as his friend the merchant was at supper with his family, the conversation by accident turned upon olives, and his wife expressed a desire of eating some, adding that it was a long time since any had been produced in her house, 
Now you speak of olives, said the merchant. You remind me that Ali Kodja, when he went to Mecca seven years since, left me a jar of them, which he himself placed in my warehouse, that he might find them there on his return. But I do not know what has become of Ali Kodja. Someone, it is true, on the return of the caravan told me that he was gone into Egypt. He must have died there, as he has never returned in the course of so many years. We may surely eat the olives if they are still good. Give me a dish and a light, and I will go and get some, that we may taste them. In the name of God, replied the wife, do not, my dear husband, commit so disgraceful an action. You well know that nothing is so sacred as a trust of this kind. You say that it is seven years since Ali Kodja went to Mecca, and he has never yet returned. But you were informed that he has gone into Egypt. How can you ascertain that he has not gone still farther? Is it enough that you have received no intelligence of his death? He may return tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Consider how infamous it would be for you as well as your family. If he were to return, and you could not restore the jar into his hands in the same state as when he entrusted it into your care. For my part, I declare that I neither wish for any of these olives, nor will eat any of them. What I said was merely by way of conversation. Besides, do you suppose that after so long a time the olives can be good? They must be spoiled. And if Ali Kodja returns, as I have foreboding that he will, and he perceives that you have opened the jar, what opinion will he form of your friendship and integrity? I conjure you to abandon your design. This good woman argued at length because she saw by her husband's countenance that he was resolved to have his own way. In fact, he got up and taking a light and a dish, went to his warehouse, Remember at last, said the wife, that I have no share in what you are going to do, so do not attribute any fault to me if you have hereafter to repent of the action. The merchant still persisted in his purpose. When he had entered the warehouse, he opened the jar and found the olives all spoiled, but to see whether those that were underneath were as bad as the upper ones, he poured some out onto the dish, and as he shook the jar to make them fall out easier, some pieces of gold fell out also. At the sight of this money, the merchant, who was naturally avaricious, looked into the jar and perceived that he had emptied almost all the olives into the dish, and what remained were money in pieces of gold. He put the olives again into the jar and covered it, left it in the warehouse. You spoke the truth, wife, he said as he returned. The olives are all spoiled, and I have stopped up the jar again so that if Ali Kodja ever comes back, he will not discover that I have touched it. You would have done better to take my advice, returned the wife, not to have meddled with it. God grant that no evil may come of it. The merchant paid as little attention to these words of his wife as he had done to her former remonstrances. He passed almost the whole night in devising means to take possession of Ali Kodja's money in such a way that he might enjoy it in security should the owner ever return to claim the jar. Next morning, very early, 
he went out to buy some olives of that year's growth. He threw away those which had been in Ali Kojia's jar, and, taking out the gold, he put it in a place of safety. Then, filling the jar with fresh olives he just bought, he put on the same cover and placed it in the same spot where Ali Kojia had left it. About a month after the merchant had committed this treacherous act, Ali Kojia arrived at Baghdad, after his long absence from that city. As he had leased his house before his departure, he alighted at a khan, where he took a lodging until he had informed his tenant of his return, that the latter might procure himself another residence. The next day, Ali Kojia went to see his friend the merchant, who received him with open arms, testifying the utmost joy at seeing him again, after an absence of so many years, which he said almost made him despair of ever beholding him any more. After the usual compliments, Ali Kojia begged the merchant to return him the jar of olives which he had left in his care, at the same time apologizing for having troubled him. "'My dear friend,' replied the merchant, "'do not think of making excuses. Your jar has been no encumbrance to me, and I should have done the same with you had I been situated as you were. Here is the key to my warehouse. Go and take it. You will find it where you put it yourself.' Ali Kojia went to the warehouse and took out the jar, and having given the key to the merchant, he thanked him for the favor he had done him, and returned to the khan where he lodged. He opened the jar, and thrusting his hand in the depth where he supposed the thousand pieces of gold might be, he was extremely surprised to find at not feeling them. He thought he must be deceived, and to relieve his doubts, he took out some of the dishes and other utensils of the traveling kitchen, and emptied out all the olives without finding one single piece of money. He was motionless with astonishment, and raising his eyes and hands towards heaven, it is possible, he at length exclaimed, that a man who I considered as a friend could be capable of so flagrant a breach of trust? Ali Kojia, exceedingly alarmed at the idea of so considerable a loss, returned to the merchant. My good friend, said he, do not be surprised that I returned to you so quickly. I confess that I knew the jar of olives which I just now took out of your warehouse to be mine, but I had put a thousand pieces of gold in it with the olives, and these I cannot find. Perhaps you have wanted them in your trade, and have made use of them. If that be the case, they are much at your service. I only beg you to relieve my fears and give me some acknowledgment for them. After this, you will return them to me whenever it may be most convenient. The merchant, who expected Ali Kajia to return to him, had prepared an answer. My friend, replied he, when you brought me the jar of olives, did I touch it? did i not give you the key to my warehouse room did you not deposit it there yourself and did you not find it in the same place where you put it exactly in the same state and covered it in the same manner if you put money in it there you must find it you told me it contained olives and i believed you this is all i know about the matter you may believe me or not as you please but i assure you i have not touched it Ali Kojia used the gentlest means to enable the merchant to justify himself. I love peaceable measures, said he, and I should be sorry to proceed to the extremities which would not be very credible to you in the eyes of the world. Consider that merchants, such as we are, should abandon all private interests to preserve their reputation. 
Once more I tell you that I should be sorry if your obstinacy compels me to apply to the forms allowed by justice, for I have always preferred losing something of my right to having recourse to those means. Ali Kogia, resumed the merchant, you confess that you have deposited a jar of olives with me, that you took possession of it again, and that you carried it away, and now you come to demand of me a thousand gold pieces? Did you tell me that they are contained in the jar? I am even ignorant that there were olives in it. You did not show them to me. I am surprised that you did not require pearls and diamonds rather than money. Take my advice. Go home and do not assemble a crowd about my door. Some people had already stopped before his shop, and these last words produced an angry voice, not only collected a large number, but made the neighboring merchants come out of their shops to inquire the reason of the dispute. When Ali Kogia had explained to them the subject, the most earnest in the cause asked the merchant what reply he had to make. The merchant owned that he had kept the jar belonging to Ali Kogia in his warehouse, but he denied having touched it, and made oath that he only knew that it contained olives because Ali Kogia had told him so, and that he considered them all as witnesses of the insulting affront which had been offered to him in his own house. You have drawn the affront on yourself, said Ali Kogia, taking him by the arm, but since you behave so wickedly, I cite you by the law of God. Let us see if you will have the face to say the same before the Kadi. At this summons, which every true Muslim man must obey, unless he rebels against his religion, the merchant had not the courage to offer any resistance. Come, said he, that is the very thing I wish. We shall see who is wrong you or I. Ali Kogia conducted the merchant before the tribunal of the Kadi, where he accused him of having stolen a thousand pieces of gold which were deposited in his care, relating the fact as it took place. The Kadi inquired if he had any witnesses. He replied that he had not taken this precaution because he had supposed the person to whom he had entrusted his money to be his friend, and till now an honest man. The merchant urged nothing more in his defense than what he had already said to Ali Kogia in the presence of his neighbors, and he concluded by offering to take his oath not only that it was false that he had taken the thousand pieces of gold, but even that he had no knowledge of their being in his possession. The caddy accepted the oath, after which he was dismissed as innocent. Ali Kogia, extremely mortified to find himself condemned to suffer so considerable loss, protested against the sentence and declared to the caddy that he would lay his complaint before the caliph Harun al-Rashid, who would do him justice. But the caddy did not regard this threat, and he considered it merely as an effect of the resentment natural to all who lose their cause, and he thought he had performed his duty by acquitting one who was accused without any witness to prove the fact. While the merchant was triumphing in his success over Ali Kogia and indulging his joy at having made so good a bargain over a thousand pieces of gold, Ali Kogia went to draw up a petition. The next day, having chosen the time when the caliph would return from midday prayer, he placed himself in a street which led to the mosque and when he passed, held out his hand with the petition. An officer to whom this function belonged, who was walking before the caliph, instantly left his place and came to take it, that he might present it to his master. 
As Ali Khodja knew that it was the usual custom of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid, when he returned to his palace to examine with his own eyes all the petitions that were presented to him in this way, he therefore followed the procession, went into the palace, and waited till the officer who had taken the petition should come out of the apartment of the Caliph. When he made his appearance, he told Ali Khodja that the Caliph had read his petition and appointed the following day to give him an audience, and having inquired of him where the merchant lived, he sent to give him notice to attend the next day at the same time. On the evening of the same day, the Caliph, with the Grand Vizier Gaifar and Masurur, the chief of the eunuchs, all three disguised in the same manner, went to make his usual excursions into the city, as was his custom frequently to do. In passing through the streets the caliph heard a noise. He hastened his pace and came to a door which opened into a court, where ten or twelve children, who had not gone to rest, were playing by moonlight, as he perceived by looking through a crevice. The caliph, feeling some curiosity to know what these children were playing at, sat down on a stone bench, which was placed very conveniently near the door, and as he was looking at them through the crevice, he heard one of the most lively and intelligent among them say to the others, Let us play at the caddy. I am the caddy. Bring before me Ali Khodja and the merchant who stole the thousand pieces of gold from him. These words of the child reminded the caliph of the petition which had been presented to him that day, and which he had read. He therefore redoubled his attention to hear the result of the trial. As the affair between Ali Khodja and the merchant was a new thing, and much talked of in the city of Baghdad, even among the children, the rest of this youthful party fully agreed to the proposal, and each chose the character he would perform. No one disputed the part of the caddy with him who had made choice of it, and when he had taken his seat with all the pomp and gravity of a caddy, another, personating the officer who attends the tribunal, presented two others to him, one whom he called Ali Khodja, and the other the merchant against whom Ali Khodja preferred his complaint. The pretended caddy then addressed the feigned Ali Khodja. Ali Khodja, he said, what do you require of this merchant? He who personated this character then made a low bow, and informed the caddy of the facts, and concluded by beseeching him to be pleased to interpose his authority to prevent his sustaining so considerable a loss. The feigned caddy, after having listened to Ali Khodja, turned to the merchant and asked him why he did not return to Ali Khodja the sum he demanded of him. This young merchant made use of the same arguments which the real one had alleged before the caddy of Baghdad, and also in the same manner asked him to suffer him to swear that what he said was the truth. Not so fast, replied the pretended caddy. Before we come to swearing, I should like to ask to see the jar of olives. Ali Khodja, he said, addressing the boy who acted this part, have you brought the jar with you? As the latter replied that he had not, he desired him to go and fetch it. Ali Khodja disappeared for a few minutes, and then returning, pretended to bring a jar to the caddy, which he said was the same that he had deposited with the merchant, and was now returned to him. 
not to omit any of the usual forms, the caddy asked the merchant if he owned it to be the same jar, and the merchant, proving by his silence that he could not deny it, he ordered it to be opened. The feigned Ali Kodja then made a motion as if he were taking off the cover, and the caddy that looking into the jar. These are fine olives. Let me taste, said he, then pretending to take one to taste, he added, They are excellent, but continued he i think that olives which have been kept seven years would not be so good order some olive merchants to be called and let them give their opinion two boys were then presented to him are you olive merchants he inquired to which they replied in the affirmative he added if you know how long olives that are prepared by people who make it their business can be preserved good to eat sir replied the feigned merchants Whatever care may be taken to preserve them, they are worth nothing after the third year. They lose both their flavor and color, and are only fit to be thrown away. If that be the case, resumed the young caddy, look at this jar and tell me how long the olives have been kept that are in it. The feigned merchants then pretended to examine and taste the olives, and told the caddy that they were fresh and good. You are mistaken, replied the caddy. Here is Ali Kodja, who says that he put them into the jar seven years ago. Sir, said the merchants, we can assure you that these olives are of this year's growth, and we will maintain that there is not a single merchant in Baghdad who will not be of the same way of thinking. The accused merchant was going to protest against this testimony of the others, but the caddy did not allow him time. Silence, he said, thou art a thief and shalt be hanged. The children then clapped their hands, showing great marks of joy, and finished their game by seizing the supposed criminal and carrying him off as if to execution. It is impossible to express how much the Caliph Harun al-Rashid admired the wisdom and acuteness of the boy who had pronounced so just a sentence on the very case which was to be pleaded before him on the morrow. Taking his eyes from the crevice, he rose and asked the Grand Vizier, who had been attending to all that passed, if he had heard the sentence given by the boy, and what he thought of it. Commander of the faithful, replied Gaffiar, I am astonished at the wisdom evinced by this boy at so early an age. But, resumed the caliph, do you know that tomorrow I am to give my decision on this very affair, and that the true Ali Kodja has this morning presented a petition to me on the subject? So I understand from your majesty, replied the grand vizier. Do you think, said the caliph, that I can give a juster sentence than what we have now heard? If the affair be the same, returned the grand vizier, it appears to me that your majesty cannot proceed in a better manner, nor give any other judgment. Notice well this house, then, said caliph, and bring me the boy to-morrow, that he may judge the same case in my presence." Order the caddy, also, who acquitted the merchant, to be at the palace, that he may learn his duty from this child, and correct his deficiencies. I desire, too, that you will tell Ali Kodja to bring with him his jar of olives, and do you procure two olive merchants to be present at the audience. The caliph gave this order as he continued his walk, which he finished without meeting with anything else to deserve his attention. On the morrow, the Grand Vizier repaired to the house where the Caliph had been witness to the game the children had played at, and he asked to speak to the master of it. 
but he had been gone out and was introduced to the mistress he asked her if she had any children she replied that she had three whom she brought to him my children said he to them which of you acted the caddy last night as you were playing together the elders replied that it was he and as he was ignorant of the reason for this question he changed color my child said the grand vizier come with me the commander of the faithful wishes to see you the mother was extremely alarmed when she saw that the vizier was going to take away her son sir she said is it to take my son away entirely that the commander of the faithful has sent for him the grand vizier quieted her fears by promising that her son should be sent back in less than an hour and that when he returned she would learn the reason for his being sent for which would give her great pleasure if that be the case sir replied she permit me first to change his dress that he may be more fit to appear before the commander of the faithful and she immediately put on her son a clean suit the grand vizier conducted the boy to the caliph presented him at the time appointed for hearing ali Khadja and the merchant the caliph seeing the child rather terrified and wishing to prepare him for what he expected him to do said to him come here my boy draw near was it you who yesterday passed sentence on the case of ali Khadja and the merchant who robbed him of his gold i both saw and heard you and am very well satisfied with you the child began to gain confidence and modestly answered that it was he my child resumed the caliph you shall see the true ali Khadja and the merchant to-day come and sit down next to me the caliph then took the boy by the hand and seated himself on his throne and having placed him next to him he inquired for the parties they advanced and the name of each was pronounced as he touched with his forehead the carpet that covered the throne when they had risen the caliph said to them let each of you plead his cause this child will hear and administer justice to you and if anything be deficient i will remedy it ali Khodja and the merchant each spoke in his turn and when the merchant requested to be allowed to take the same oath that he had taken on his first examination the boy answered that it was not yet time for it was first necessary to inspect the jar of olives at these words ali Khodja reproduced the jar placed it at the feet of the caliph and uncovered it the caliph looked at the olives and took one which he tasted the jar was then handed to some skillful merchants who had been ordered to appear and they reported it was their opinion that the olives were good and of that year's growth the boy told them ali Khodja's assured him that they had been in the jar seven years to which the real merchants returned the same answer which the children had feigned merchants had made in the preceding evening although the accused merchant plainly saw that the two olive merchants had thus pronounced his condemnation yet he nevertheless attempted to allege reasons in his justification the boy however did not venture to pronounce sentence on him and sent him to execution commander of the faithful said he this is not a game it is your majesty alone who can condemn to death seriously and not i i did it yesterday only in play the caliph fully persuaded of the treachery of the merchant gave him up to the ministers of justice to have him hung and the sentence was executed after he had confessed where the thousand pieces of gold were concealed 
which were then returned to Ali Kogia. This monarch, in short, so celebrated for his justice and equity, after having advised the caddy who had passed the first sentence and who was present to learn from a child to be more exact in the performance of his office, embraced the boy and sent him home again with a purse containing a hundred pieces of gold, which he ordered to be given to him as proof of his liberality. End of chapter 16 The History of Ali Kogia and a favorite fairy tales by various